Well, take your Bibles and turn to Ezra chapter 7. If that's a little unfamiliar, go to the Psalms and take a hard left four books, four books before the Psalms. Ezra, Ezra chapter 7. We're going to be isolating our attention for the most part in one verse a little later in our exposition, but I want to start by reading the context here of Ezra's ministry. Ezra chapter 7. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Ezra chapter 7. Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Zariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zeraiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all that he requested because the hand of the Lord of the hand of the Lord God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel, some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because of the good hand of his God that was upon him. And then verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Well, as Myrl has already indicated, today is unique in the life of our church. Week in and week out, we commit ourselves to and devote our attention to the exposition, the explanation, the preaching of God's Word in our worship services. Most of the time, that includes verse-by-verse explanation and exposition of God's Word. Sometimes that means looking at things theologically or thematically in the Scriptures, but this morning is, I think, a part of shepherding that's important. It's more, more like a family chat. We have the opportunity to consider one of the most important and urgent opportunities and tasks that faces the church and recalibrate our ministries accordingly. Now, let me begin with where I'm going to conclude because you're, you're likely thinking, okay, the Expositor Seminary, there's a seminary upstairs, they're training guys for ministry, uh, good for them, and, and, and we'll watch from a distance, which could not be any farther from the way you should think about this. Training men in ministry involves a church, not just teachers. It involves all of you in some very specific and unique ways. You bear the burden and you bear the responsibility of training men for ministry. And I hope by the end of our time of study this morning, you will bear it better. <laughs> Let's begin with a word. It's a word that you've probably heard, but I wonder if you can define. Here's the word. Seminary, which no is not a, a, a pun or, or a, a synonym for cemetery. The joke is old. 
Seminary. Do you understand what a seminary is? Here's the dictionary definition of seminary. Quote, a special school providing education in theology, religious history, etc., primarily to prepare students for the priesthood, ministry, or rabbinate, being a rabbi. In our 21st century context, in Protestantism, seminaries in, in, in our world, seminaries have become training programs that exist in schools designated to train men for ministry. Now, let me say from the beginning, I praise God for those schools. I am the beneficiary of that training. I have four degrees from three different seminaries. I use things I learn from those schools every single day, if not every hour of my life. But some have begun to question, I think rightfully so, if the current seminary model if the current seminary program is the best way to train men for ministry, or might we reconsider and improve it? As I said, I spent many years in seminaries, but I want to confess that there was something missing as I look back at that time in those seminaries. Seminaries are institutions which involve classes and courses for the purpose of learning the things necessary for the work of the ministry, but you can only learn so much from a class, from reading books. There's an old saying, you don't or can't learn to swim if you stand on the deck of the pool. Eventually, you have to get wet, right? Eventually, you have to get in the water to learn to swim. Listen to how Richard Pratt illustrates the issue I'm trying to raise. He says, quote, Can you imagine what kind of soldiers our nation would have if basic training amounted to the reading of books, listening to lectures, writing papers, and taking exams? We'd have dead soldiers, he says. The first time a bullet whizzed past their heads in the battlefield, they'd panic. The first explosion they, they saw would send them running. So what is basic training for the military? Recruits learn the information they need to know, but this is a relatively small part of that preparation. Most of basic training is devoted to supervised battle simulation. Recruits are put through harrowing emotional and physical stress. They crawl under live bullet fire. They practice hand-to-hand -hand combat. If we could wave a magic scepter and change seminary today, he says, I'd turn it into a grueling physical and spiritual experience. I'd find ways to reach academic goals more quickly and effectively than devote most of the curriculum to supervise battle simulation. I'd put students through endless hours of hands-on service to the sick and dying, physically dangerous evangelism, frequent preaching and teaching of the scriptures, and days on end of fasting and prayer. Seminary would either make them or it would break them. He says, do you know what would happen? Very few men would want to attend. Only those who had been called by God would subject themselves to this kind of seminary. Yet they would be recruits for kingdom of service, not mere students. They would be ready for the battle of gospel ministry. 
It's quite a statement, isn't it? To quote theologian John Frame, he says this, Since theological education is a ministry of the Word of God, it is a work of the church and nobody else. Teaching the Word of God is the great commission that Jesus gave to the church. It is the church then that does ministry. It is the work of the church to train ministers, end quote. Well, that leads me to talk for a few minutes about the way we've chosen to do that here at Mission Road, and that's to be a part of the Expositor's Seminary. We're going to highlight the ministry of the Expositor's Seminary, and hopefully by the end, you're going to understand your part in that amazing ministry that God has given us as a stewardship. Why should it matter? Why should it matter to you? Well, first of all, let's, let's just talk about nomenclature. We say often T-E-S, and I've had people who are newer to our church say, T-E-S, what is that? What, what, what actually is that? What does it mean? Where is it? The Expositor's Seminary, training program for ministry. Coalition of 11 churches that connect with each other via video conferencing or Zoom technology. It's live training. It's not just logging in and watching videos. And the key distinctive of our seminary, this is really important, is that every instructor is not only an expert, most are doctorates, have their, hold their doctorates in the field in which they study, Greek, Hebrew, um, uh, pastoral ministry, expository preaching, theology. But all of the men who teach are not only experts in their field of study, but they're all pastors. Pastors training pastors. We have four pillars of, and I think this is dead. Thank you. I'm going to need some help. Four pillars of the Expositor Seminary, and uh, uh, I want to just briefly outline, this is on our website, but this is important for you to know. The first is scholarship. Scholarship. Students receive the identical high-level instruction and curriculum in every campus location. They're devoted to the acumen of scholarship, expository preaching based on evangelical analysis of the text in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, theological framework that's exegetically derived from the text, presuppositional approach to Christian apologetics that moves from God's inerrant powerful word to explanation, not to justifying God's word by philosophical Proofs, practical disciplines based on skillful application of biblical truth for reading and shepherding God's flock. It's scholarship. It takes study. It takes hard work. These men read not hundreds and not thousands, tens of thousands of pages a year in order to be trained. Second is mentorship. Mentorship. Students are intentionally mentored by the campus church pastors and elders. This is different than, than just being trained at seminary, which is wonderful. Let me just say again, no one is against here institutional seminaries. Uh, we have men in, seminary, in those institutional seminaries in our church today, and we're certainly not against that. But what the Institutional seminaries cannot provide that the church can is this mentorship. 
Students are given extensive behind-the-scenes access to the inner workings of local church leadership. For example, the seniors uh, at the Expositor Seminary are invited to come into our elders' meetings every single week and to watch. We don't want the first elders' meeting they ever go to to be the one they lead. They show up at their first elders' meeting as a, as a pastor, and they go, hi, what do we do now? So we want to give them that experience. Senior pastor and his staff at each of these campuses regularly meet with the students and their families inside and outside the classroom. One of the things I do, I get to do almost every week is find a gap because they're just here in the building. We go to lunch together. That informal kind of talking about life and ministry is always on. The classroom is always open, in other words. Local church leadership provides hands-on, detailed assessment of each student's unique gifts and future ministry pursuits. No one should ever graduate from the Expositor's Seminary. And people wonder, what is he about? We should know and have impact, input into that. Thirdly, Apprenticeship. Students gain valuable hands-on ministry experience in the local church. They go to staff meetings, elders meetings. They can come with me and other pastors on visitation. They sit in counseling sessions whenever it's appropriate. Students have ministries within the church, teaching and or serving. Some of them have staff roles in the church. They have teaching assignments, short-term missions, uh, trips, administration programs, corporate worship as is fitting and apprenticeship function. So don't be surprised if you see some of these students Leading worship, sharing a communion, or as we'll see later, even preaching God's word from this pulpit. And each of the 11 campuses is a healthy model of expository preaching and shepherding of the flock. You don't just become a, an expositor seminary campus or church by desire. It, we, we, we have to know that you have a model and a methodology and a philosophy of ministry that's consistent with the others which are being consistent with the scriptures. And then lastly, fellowship. Last distinctive, number four, fellowship. Students and their families are cared for by a highly committed church fellowship. That's you. Church volunteers coordinate hospitality care teams on behalf of the student uh, families. Some of you know them by, because of the ministry that you're involved with them in. Some of you just have kind of adopted them. Let me just say with... Uh, with a, a, a great degree of joy and having watched this anonymously behind the scenes, some of our students have gone through seminary almost with no expenses because without stealing anyone's rewards, some of you, some families, some men, some women have said, I want to sponsor or scholarship this man's education, which is wonderfully less expensive in the church than it would be in an institution. But they say, I want to do this so that they don't have to be, have the burden of, of paying for that as they go. But they all pay as they go. It's just incredible that they have fellowship with our church. They're not just appendages sticking out somewhere upstairs in this classroom. No, they're deeply involved. Theological scholars focus on what the Bible meant. That's what commentaries do. This is what the Bible meant. Churchgoers, the parishioners, mostly you, concentrate on what the Bible means. And what we're doing at Expositors is training these men to be experts 
in both what the Bible meant and what the Bible means. They will live, as John Stott describes it, between two worlds, between the biblical world and the contemporary world. So for the next few minutes, I want to show you how we are trying to use and apply the example of Ezra in training our men at TES. Back to Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So, can't do this, Jonathan. There we go. Um, so what we're going to look at is three aims of preparing men for ministry. Three aims for preparing men for ministry. If Ezra gives us a good example, we're going to look at that example and say, okay, how do we train men in the way that Ezra's example would be honored? The first is this. Number one, competence, competence to understand God's word. Competence to understand God's word. For Ezra had set his heart. That's an important phrase, set his heart. He's doing this on purpose. To set your heart means to give your being, your existence, your life to. And let me just tell you, these men are going through incredible, unspeakable, and almost unnoticed sacrifices to study, to prepare for ministry. Why? Because they've set their heart to. When I began seminary in our orientation, it scared me to death because the man giving the orientation said, we want seminary to be so grueling that you would only want to do this if you were called to ministry. It's not a test. It's not trying to, like the Navy Steels, weed you out. It's to show you that this is serious enough to demand all of who you are. That's setting your heart. Ezra had set his heart, and then he gives three parts. The first is this competence to understand God's word, to study the law of the Lord. Look for a moment back to verse 6. Back to verse 6. Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, a theologian, an expert, skilled in the law of Moses. Skilled in the law of Moses, he had put himself through rigorous training. And a significant part of the curriculum of Expositor Seminary, TES, is teaching the skills for studying God's Word. How do you study God's Word? 2 Timothy 2.15, very clearly, the New Testament equivalent of this says, Be diligent. Take pains to present yourself to God approved as a workman, someone who works hard, who does not need to be ashamed. How? Handling accurately the word of truth. Paul told Timothy, you're going to give an account to the Lord for what you do before the people. And the primary issue of accountability is handling God's word. And the issue of handling God's word has to do with accuracy. Are you dealing with it well? That's why, let me just tell you, these men are studying Greek and Hebrew, and there's an elective, I think Tanner, you're taking that in Aramaic, the biblical languages. And it's not because translations are bad. Praise God for translations. 
but it's so that they can see and read and interpret and exegete and explain God's word in the original languages before they tell you what the English means and says. They're also trained in hermeneutics. How do you interpret the Bible? Some of you are old enough to understand this analogy. Others of you just listen to me and smile. We're, we're working hard against Phil Donahue theology. Some of you are old enough to remember Phil Donahue would walk around the audience and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? That's not hermeneutics. God said what he meant and meant what he said, and understanding that is the aim of our curriculum and also theology. Are they sharp theologically? Can they interpret the scriptures with a proper theological context and also use the scriptures to inform their theological context? It's a circle. It means these men are called to the arduous task of study, Study, study. Most men don't understand this, and I certainly didn't when I graduated. I loved the Lord. I loved ministry. I loved discipleship. I loved student ministry at the time. I, I, I like people. I, I, I recharge being around people, and I just thought, this is going to be great. I get to take God's Word and interact with people, and it's going to be a, a wonderful life of ministry. What I, what I didn't understand, but boy, do I now and what these men will come to understand is that if you're going to do ministry accurately and well, it will demand hours and hours of keeping your backside in the chair alone with nobody but you and your Bible and your books for, did I say it, hours and hours, and hours. This is both for sermons and for ministry, for shepherding. If the Bible is what we believe it to be, the very Word of God, if it's the way God has communicated to us, to His people, if it's the way He shepherds shepherds, then we need to be experts in that. The pastor should be trained to be the resident expert on the contents of the Bible in the church. Not because he's smarter, but because he studies the Bible more. Ezra set his heart to be such a man, to study the law, to study God's word. Competence to understand God's word. Secondly, commitment to apply God's word. Commitment to apply God's word. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and look at that next phrase, and to practice it. Pretty simple, huh? And to practice it. The reason that Ezra set his heart to study God's word is because he understood that the foundation and the reality of what God has spoken in his word, only God's word can change your life, can impact your living, can comfort your sorrows, can give you hope and cause you to be a pleasure to God. I mean, have you really thought about, we sing it, we talk about it. Think about what Psalm 19 says. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting, changing, changing the soul. God's word changes, converts the soul. And if that's true and we believe it, then the best thing a man of God can do is be an expert 
in understanding not just what it says, but how it applies. James said in chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Be a doer. So be a doer and teach people to be doers as well. Paul said to the Romans in chapter 2, verse 13, for not the, for not the hearers of the law are justified before God, but the doers of the law shall be saved, shall be justified. Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 5.1, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I give you to do the, give you this day, that you may learn them and keep them and do them. Learn, keep, do. Let's say it this way. What drives ministry is the question, so what? The Bible says that, so, so what? So, so how does it impact me? Ezra set his heart to practice it, to do it, to know so what after every verse. And practicing God's word is not only the goal of the teacher, preacher in his own life, it's the goal of understanding how to teach God's word. Listen, it's not just knowing what the Bible meant in the original language to the original audience by the original author, as important as that is, if that was the case, all we would do up here on Sunday mornings is read a very good exegetical commentary and go home. No. Practicing it and teaching to practice it means you know God's word and you know God's people and you become the, the man who stands between those two worlds, the biblical world and the lives of the people and bridges that in helpful and in practical ways. I was encouraged to hear... My dear friend Tanner say something we say often, which is that God's, if you read the commands, especially in the New Testament about ministry, the emphasis, let me say it this way. There's probably half a dozen verses, and that's a stretch, on, on preaching, the ministry of preaching, and they are powerful passages. Preach the word is pretty strong. There are hundreds of passages about shepherding, Said another way, there's more time in the life of a pastor between Sunday afternoon and Saturday night than there is in that hour on Sunday morning. So we believe strongly at the Expositor Seminary in training pastors, shepherds who preach, not preachers who might shepherd. The primary goal is you're a caregiver to souls, you're you're a shepherd that we're trying to train these men to be. Preaching is a part of what they do, but it's not the only part. The trained man of God is to be concerned about applying the Scriptures to himself and to God's people and training them to apply it to themselves as well. Commitment to apply God's Word, which also implies that he is a reasonable, and I use that word very importantly, reasonable example of what he's teaching. He's above reproach. Full confession, I mean, especially as we've been studying Ephesians 4 the last few weeks, every week I just think, oh, I, I, that's not me. I want to be that. that. This is convicting me so much. And that, that, I think that's okay in, until we're all sanctified, glorified in heaven. But he needs to be a reasonable example of what he's teaching and preaching. That's why we test 
character, not just their knowledge. A commitment to apply God's word. And the third aim of preparing men for ministry, competence to understand God's word, commitment to apply God's word, and then thirdly, skill to teach God's word. Oh, they're supposed to be shepherds who preach, but they need to know how to teach, how to preach. Ezra set his heart to study, to practice, and to teach, to preach. Said it many times from this pulpit. Let me say it again. Preaching, follow this. Preaching is public hermeneutics. Hermeneutics are the principles of interpretation. Preaching is public hermeneutics. In other words, what the preacher does in the pulpit becomes an example and an okay for the people to deal with the Bible in their own personal study, in their own personal closets. Not only should a sermon be an explanation of a text, it should also be, also be an example of how to do interpretation. I love what we find out about Nehemiah's, excuse me, Ezra's ministry in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 8. They read from the book, Ezra and his friends, from the law of God, translating to give the sense. Translating is probably not the Best word, exegeting, explaining, to give the sense so they understood the reading. They gave explanation. It's what the Bible says and what the Bible means by what it says. Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Then he says this, to exhortation and teaching. Read the scriptures and then explain them and teach them and apply them. That's the expectation and the admonition. The reason, the only reason that a man would be committed to preach God's word is because of his bibliology. And that's, that's at the core of the Expositor Seminary. What a man believes about the Bible compels him to say whatever he says in the pulpit. But you can reverse that polarity. Whatever a man says in whatever church you ever attend, whatever he says in the pulpit reveals to you his commitment to God's word. What, where does he get the authority to say what he says? What is he saying? And it needs to be explaining what God's word says. Preacher's conviction then about God's word plays a unique role in his understanding, execution of the preaching task, the teaching task. We believe in expository preaching. From the most basic definition of expository preaching, we can just say this. It's a public proclamation that explains what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and why it matters. That's what expository preaching is. And this method of preaching is anchored to a robust commitment to the inspiration of the Scriptures, the inerrancy of the Scriptures, the infallibility of Scriptures, the sufficiency of the Scriptures, the authority of Scripture, it necessitates what we call a historical, grammatical, hermeneutic. In other words, we believe that the Bible is to be interpreted literally. It says what it means. It means what it says. By the way, literal includes figurative language. Someone says, well, if you think the Bible literally, it says the, the sun sets. And we know it's actually an earth rotation, so the Bible must be lying. Come on. Taking the Bible at face value and interpreting it literally includes figurative languages figurative expressions. So we take it literally, historically. It was all written in a historical context. 
Grammatically, the words matter, and contextually, no, no passage can stand alone without its context, what comes before and what comes after. So for the expository preacher that we're trying to train and equip at the Expositor's Seminary, hence the name, for him, the fundamental commission is the preaching task of explaining the Bible and his convictions to a robust Bibliology is at the core of who he is. It means the Bible is accessible. We can understand it. It's intelligible. We can apply and understand it. Timothy Ward asks an insightful question, though. It's really interesting. He says this, If the Scripture is so clear, which we call the what of Scripture? Perspicuity of Scripture. Good. If the Scripture is so clear, why the need to explain it in public so often and at such length? Shouldn't then the expository preacher's task be to get up, read the Bible, and say, go get them, tigers? I mean, it, what, what are we doing here? God does not have a speech impediment. He doesn't speak with a lisp. He has said what he means and means what he says. He communicates with the assumption that he can be understood. And the premise of the continued intelligibility of God's word is the basic presumption of its nature. The attribute of God's word of being clear and understandable and communicatable is at the heart of our seminary and at the heart of our training. One theologian says this, interpretation of the clear word of God is not, first of all, an act of clarification, but the act of being clarified. I think that's good. God's word clarifies us. And if there's any misunderstanding of God's word, it's not because God hasn't been clear. It's because we have mud in our eyes of sin that needs to be taken out so that we can see clearly. Preaching is the primary means then that God uses to clarify his revelation by clarifying us. Competence to understand God's word, commitment to apply God's word, skill to teach God's word. Ezra's example feeds into Paul's admonition in 1 Timothy 4.16. We read a minute ago in our reading. Pay close attention to yourself, your life, to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Why, why is this so important? As you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Why are we so serious about training men? Because heaven and hell are at stake. Faithful men then are defined by pay close attention to yourself, by their character. And we do deep dives into these men's lives as they reflect a deep dive into us as well. Content, they need to be experts in God's word and commitment Persevere in these things. Listen, pastoral ministry is not for the unfaithful. It means a lot of late nights and a lot of early mornings, a lot of saying no to the things you want to do because of the things you get to do for God. It means unexpected interruptions as a part of daily living. It means a constant influx of emails, text messages, phone calls, drop-bys. It means study, study, study. You're never finished. You're never finished. I don't know how to describe this to you. 
I finish a sermon. I work all week on a sermon. And there's one sliver of time on Sunday nights, usually right before I go to bed, I'm watching NFL highlights. It's the only time in the week that I don't feel the pressure that Sunday's coming and I got to say something. These men will learn to carry the burden, the joy of preaching every week. Someone has described it like this. Preaching is like writing a 30-page footnoted term paper every single week of your life and presenting it publicly for public scrutiny. It's pretty close. And can I say something wonderful about you? I have to study because of your biblical expertise and acumen. The men who stand in this pulpit bear the wonderful pressure that you bring that we can't fake it, we can't mail it in. We need to come prepared or you would find us out. This is important because the preacher's God ends up being the people's God. The preacher's Christ will be the people's Christ. The preacher's gospel will be the people's gospel. The preacher's standard of morality will be the people's standard of morality. The preacher's hermeneutic becomes the people's hermeneutic. The pastor's exercise of liberties becomes the people's exercise of liberties. The pastor's excitement and sp- about spiritual realities will be the people's enthusiasm and excitement of spiritual realities as well. It's a big deal to be a pastor, so it's a big deal to train them Well, who trains men to do this kind of work? Drum roll. It's the church. It's you. The church is the divinely authorized entity to train and to identify ministers. It's the church that's divinely equipped to train ministers. It's the church that's divinely sanctioned to evaluate candidates for ministry. So our goal is to nurture students' proficiency in critical areas like expository disciplines. We've talked about that. To know how to handle God's Word, biblical languages, critical exegetical analysis of text and problem-solving in the text, crafting expository sermons, the art and passion of preaching, theological disciplines that they're growing in, recognizing the proper, proper theological framework essential to biblical ministry, a theology that comes from the Scripture, methodologically inductive. We in, induct what we believe, and then we systematically collate it and express it. Practical disciplines of understanding self-care and holiness, mature leadership of family and ministry, understanding church government and polity, biblical counseling, duties of the pastoral office, the carrying out of the ordinances, practical body life and shepherding, critical thinking. It might make you smile, but one every year we fill up the baptistry and we bring the students in and we, we, we practice baptism. Now, you may think that's silly, but no one ever told me how to do it. And the first time I ever did baptism, 
I felt like I needed to see the chiropractor the next day because it's not an easy little thing. You don't just leg swipe and dunk. Leading the Lord's table, counseling, body life, shepherding, critical disciplines, discipleship to understand that it's life on life for them on others and others on them developing leaders, mentoring and training of elders, developing and training deacons. So what does that mean for us in the church? I want to be really practical. And if you want to write these down, this would be good discussion at your care group. What does this mean for our church? Number one, we should all know and pray for these men and their families. That's why we, rec- we recognize them and brought them up. You should know them. You should pray for them. You should be involved with them. You should get to know them. Know them. Pray for them. Interact with them. Ask them what their needs are. Again, they are subjecting themselves to incredible sacrifices that no one will know about but the Lord so that he can ser- these men can serve the Lord they love. Secondly, know that you, we, we are all involved in vetting these men. We are all involved in vetting these men. That means you're a part of observing them, evaluating them, scrutinizing them, encouraging them. And can I also say this, and let this be a a tease for you young men. We long for God to identify and raise up men for ministry from our church. Oh, we have people who've moved here to go to the Exposure Seminary. Praise God for those men. But I don't know of a greater joy as a pastor who trains pastors than to see men do it. And we've already talked to junior hires and high schoolers and collegians in our church who plan on coming to the expositors to be trained. It's wonderful. Thirdly, please, 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 we should allow these men the opportunity to develop in ministry disciplines. We should allow them the opportunity to develop in ministry disciplines. That means preaching, shepherding, counseling, administrating, leading. Our church should be a living laboratory for ministry and very happy to be so. But this is not... This is not practice ministry. It's real life ministry with real eternal souls and real eternal consequences. We're dealing with a true God, a living God, eternal souls, and a hungry devil. And fourth, support. That means caring for these men. Sometimes as simple as having them over for dinner, caring about them. Sometimes it means financially contributing to them or to TES which is why we're going to have a a special offering for that. Looking out for them personally. Listen, they're working full-time, ministering, going to school, raising families, discipling, being discipled. And then lastly, this is so important, we should all be patient while these men are learning and growing. We should all be patient while these men are learning and growing. Mission Road Bible Church should be a safe and healthy place to learn and even fail. And folks, you are to be mature enough to aid these men in their maturation.
I regularly get requests from ministries looking for men to fill pastoral positions, sometimes senior positions, sometimes associate positions. Can I share with you an ongoing frustration, probably better disappointment with these requests? I could show you hundreds, not a few, hundreds of these requests that I've gotten. Most of them look for someone with experience. That's what I think is tragic. Most churches want a man who has gained experience, and few churches want to be the church who gives them that experience. I mean, can you think about that? I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but yeah, you let them work out all the kinks and get, get, uh, get better at what they do, and then we'll take them. I think we should say, okay, we'll gladly be that church that gives experience. That means we're patient. We're understanding. You will hear sermons that will not be as good as the sermons they will preach later. You'll see them do baptisms in, in, in ways that they'll be better at later. Every man has to start. I, I remember talking to a doctor friend of mine who says, somebody's got to be the first person to get that shot. Talking to a nurse who said, yeah, someone is your first IV. Are you willing with me to be the, the first to allow these men to learn, to grow, to plant, to flourish with us? What a privilege Let's be that church who says, yes, we will be the experience-giving church, which means we all understand what we're doing. We all understand these men. We all understand the process, right? And we're joyfully glad about that. If we hear sermons that aren't as good as the sermons that they will preach later in life, can we still give them encouragement that they got the text right, that they studied hard, that they leaned into the task that we can listen and say, God has something for us in that. It doesn't mean they're all going to be bad or bad sermons. It just means we're willing to be patient to know that everybody has firsts. And I am so grateful that in, insofar as I've seen, you are a church that loves being the experiencing, giving body. What a joy. Isn't it a privilege isn't that amazing? We get to do this. We get to be a part of and hear the firsts of so many of these men's ministries. I, I, I want to be one of those churches that doesn't say, where's your experience? We need to be the church that says, come and we'll give it to you. We'll give you the opportunity. It takes a church to train a man. Not the elders and not the pastor alone. It takes all of us. One of the main reasons that I'm comfortable having the Expositor Seminary here at Mission Road Bible Church is you. You're not passive. You're active. Let's be active in it together.